what does it look like to stand in your power? That's what's important to me. It's not that you're always speaking up and the first person to speak. Hell, some of the most powerful women I've ever met in my life were women of very few words. But when they spoke, room shifted. This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 373 with guest Leslie Lyons. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, Ask Kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. Hey, if you know somebody that you think should be a guest on this podcast, I don't know, maybe if you were listening to another podcast and thought, Andrea would love talking to this person, or I think everyone should hear what this particular expert has to say on whatever personal development topic it is, shoot us an email, support at yourkickasslife.com. We're happy to check this person out and see if they're a great fit and then possibly invite them to be on the show. Or if you want to pitch yourself or if you know of someone who would be great on the show, you can also use our pitch application that we have on the contact page, yourkickasslife.com slash contact, where we review them and see if they are a great fit for the show. So thank you for participating and helping this podcast be even more amazing than it already is. I have such a fun guest for you today. Leslie Lyons is on the show, and she has such an interesting career that spans selling sex toys and pole dancing. And and this conversation is one that excites me so much. No, it's not about sex toys, but it's about women who feel like they're too much and, you know, speaking up and, and that that type of thing. And and then the conversation meanders over into Christianity, which I haven't talked a whole lot about on the show. And she kind of comes out and asks me, like, where do you stand on this? And I'm like, no one's ever asked me this on the show. And so we have a very candid conversation about it. And I just wanted to give you a heads up that that's where it goes. I I like to talk about a lot of different things on this show. And I always get very curious about my experts' experiences and, and what has shaped them to be the person that they are today. Fast forward into 2021, I'm really excited because we have some changes that are happening over here on the podcast as well as just with me in general. I, you know, I've I've had Your Kick-Ass Life as my brand and my business for, it was 10 years in September. You know, in 2021, it'll be 11 years. And I've been kind of itching to switch things up a little bit. I didn't know what that was going to look like. And I had a meeting with my team this morning and we are going to release some of these changes in June of this year of 2021. And last, late last year, I was telling you about this new podcast series that I was going to have. It was a new kind of freebie. And I said it was going to be ready in January. (laughs) We decided to actually drop that in June as well so that we can prepare it better as well as it's going to coincide with my new book that's coming out. And I am going to release uh, the title to you. I can't remember if I've, I've told you or not what the title is. Maybe I have. I tend to forget things lately. I don't know, burnout, middle age, lots of things going on. You feel me. I know that you do. 
All right, so stay tuned for that. Let me tell you a little bit about our guest if you don't know her already. Leslie Lyons is the founder of Bombshell Movement Studio in Chicago, host of Beyond the Pole, Tales from the CEO podcast, and a sales and leadership coach for female entrepreneurs. With a background in corporate sales, youth ministry, and as a leader for studio owners throughout the U.S., Leslie has spent her life pouring into women emotionally and spiritually. Now more than ever, her dedication to helping entrepreneurial women lead with their heart and head is exactly the type of leadership we need. So without further ado, here is Leslie. <laughs> Leslie, thank you so much for being here. Oh my goodness. Andrea, I am so stoked to be on your show today. Thank you for having me. I am so excited and I know that this could be a two-hour call. So let's get into it because your, your background and your story runs the gamut. Like there's so many different things I want to touch on, but can you start by telling us your personal story of how you came to do that, the work that you do? It's super interesting. So tell us about it. Yeah, for sure. Thanks again for allowing me to be here. I'm super excited to talk about it. But so I guess I have two stories because I'm actively living them now. So um, for your listeners, those who don't know me, my name is Leslie Lyons. I have two businesses primarily for the last 15 years. I own a brick and mortar central movement studio here in Chicago. So we help women reclaim their voice and their power through central movement. So anything that is sexy and embodied. So polling. I was just about to ask, like, what do you, what do you, how do you define central movement? Yeah, anything that is sexy and embodied. So it could be pole dancing, it could be chair dancing, it could be vixen dancing, it could be aesthetic dancing, anything that makes you feel alive and powerful in your feminine frame. That mm -hmm. is what we do. And I've done that for the last 15 years. Well, about three years ago, I moved into the coaching space because for so many years, I had other business owners reaching out to me saying, hey, how did you make this work? How is this working? And it's a taboo industry. How do you advertise? How are you doing so well? And I was like, well, there's a couple of things that I've done and I can teach you. And so literally that's how I moved into the coaching space. And mm -hmm. I started coaching specifically within the central movement industry. And about a year ago, I branched out and started working with other businesses that look to empower women in non-traditional ways. And so um, I work with estheticians, I work with makeup artists, I work with salon owners, I work with feminist accountants, I work with the gamut, the people who you wouldn't necessarily look to them like we would to a life coach like yourself. Mm -hmm. But these are women who encounter other women and they empower them through day-to-day -day interactions. How can they put a different spin, if you will, on the accounting services that they offer. How does that make women better and in turn make our world better? So that's what I've been doing the last 15 years. Before yeah. that, I was in the corporate rat race. And yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> we've, I've got tons of stories that I could share about how I not only survived in that and thrived until I decided it was time for me to leave. Okay. Well, I want to shift gears and talk to you very specifically about a particular emotion that we chatted just for a little bit about before we started recording. And it is anger. And 
so I was doing some research for my third book that's going to come out later this year. And, you know, no one's going to be surprised by this research. <laughs> and that women are, you know, when they're, they are seen negatively, if they are perceived as angry, aggressive, and powerful, and they're seen positively if they're, um, if they're perceiving men that way. So can you talk to us about, I just want to know your take on it. And if you have any advice just around that whole emotion, just in general. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Do I? Um, so because there's a couple of different things, first of all, anger is just an emotion and I don't label emotions positive or negative. I believe that emotions have been given to us by God for a reason. And so every emotion has a purpose and anger has a very powerful purpose when yielded with precision. Anger is what gets shit done. Like it is any major change that has happened politically, socially, probably even in your own sphere, there was probably an angry person, someone who was fed up with the status Mm -hmm. quo that decided that things were gonna change and they were gonna change today. And they put all of their energy behind that to shift things into another direction. Anger is a powerful emotion and it only gets a bad rap (laughs) in Western society as it relates to women. And if you truly are a person who's just explosive, right? Like your anger has no purpose, it just blows up and detonates everything around you. Mm -hmm. It's what are you doing with your anger? Does it have purpose? Or are you just a ticking time bomb ready to go off about everything? And you're angry because it's snowing, you know? There's no purpose behind your anger. So for me, I've always thought, and I know you said this, Andrea, offline too, because we're both Enneagram AIDS and our core emotion is anger. So it's very Mm -hmm. accessible to us. Um, We're very comfortable with it. But the question is, are others comfortable with our anger? Are they comfortable with how we show up in spaces? In my head, I said immediately no, immediately no. (laughs) (laughs) People are not, not comfortable. So exactly. And so because of that, the question is why though? And you made the, you may mention to it earlier is how we're conditioned. Yeah. From a very early age, especially feminine, um, female identifying folk, we are conditioned very early that anger is, is not positive. If you want to be liked, if you want to be loved, if you want to get the guy, if you want to get the opportunity, You've got to be sweet and docile and agreeable and the caretaker and Mm. the one who is just completely selfless, damn near martyr, you know, give everything to someone. I was reading something just yesterday and I had to catch myself because I'm um, rebranding. And one of the things that's really close to my heart is sex trafficking. I volunteered in, um, organizations that fight sex trafficking for years and I want to put it out there more in my marketing right but I read something specifically that said be careful not to feed into the narrative that if you are a powerful woman and you're making money that you have to be doing something that the world sees as good with that money interesting 
it literally, Andrea, stopped me in my tracks. Mm-hmm. Because I don't want to feed into any more harmful narratives and stereotypes or shame around women owning their power. Yeah. So I was like, man, am I putting my sex trafficking work out there because I want people to think I'm doing something good with the money I make so they won't be harsh on me? So, because it's not good enough to make money just for the sake of making money. Exactly. Where men never have- God forbid you try to like, you know, create wealth for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So it's like, because that's the narrative, right? I call it the Cruella DeVille syndrome. <gasps> that's, oh my God. We are, we are parallel lives. So I, I, I reference her in my book because she was my first model of a wealthy woman. Wow. When I was five years old. And I was thinking back on, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just got so excited because I was thinking back on who are the role models for me growing up of, of women, of wealthy women. Well, first and foremost, there were zero that were self-made mm. and they were always either the widow or the wife or the daughter of a wealthy man. And then I'm like, well, the first wealthy woman, you know, in any kind of story or anything like that was Cruella DeVille. Yep. And she was, I mean, if you Google like top five worst Disney villains, she's up there. Oh, yeah. Like she was terrible. And this was my model of a wealthy woman who made money. Like she was the worst. And I, there's some people who are like, Oh, you know, it's just, it's just a Disney movie. And I'm like, Oh no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. These are the things that matter to us that Mm -hmm. get embedded into our subconscious and sometimes completely conscious Mm -hmm. that make us the way that we feel about money and a lot of other things. Mm -hmm. It's how women are viewed. When you think about it, I'm like, seriously, it's like, if you make money, you must be evil and kill puppies for coats, period. Oh and she God. was, and she was angry, you know, a hundred percent and mean to everyone, uh-huh. even the people that were helping her. Uh-huh. She treated everybody like shit. She was overbearing. She was all of the things. Fast forward to that to something more modern, like the devil wears Prada or just think about it was a slight improvement. Just so slight. <laughs> Look, so slight. <laughs> Because it's always the the powerful woman is this evil, lonely, terrible relationship. Yeah, she's got no relationships. She's just this woman that's dying on the vine, but she's got all this money. And Mm -hmm. so we have to be aware of what we consume and how that shows up for people. And so for me, I know that as an eight, we care a lot about the underdog. A lot of what gets us fired up and pissed off is when we see other people being taken advantage of. I tell the story because I use the Enneagram in my work all the time, but I tell the story about when I was literally in kindergarten and I don't remember as much of the story, Andrea, as it's been told to me over the years by my parents. Mm-hmm. But my mother shared with me that there was a little boy named Anthony. And if Anthony ever hears one of these podcasts, I pray his life is much better than it was then. I'm 48. So that was a long time ago. He was a kid that probably didn't come from a very solid home is probably the best way to say it. So oftentimes he was dirty. Um, he didn't smell well because his home life was clearly problematic. As a child, though, I wouldn't know anything about that. 
But what I did know is that it didn't seem right. It didn't seem fair for people to make fun of him. It didn't seem life-giving and it felt like he needed someone to stand up for him. And my mother talked about how I constantly stood up for him. If someone was talking about him, I would tell them immediately, that's not right. Don't say that. That's not nice. And I'm five years old, mm-hmm. taking a stand for somebody who was being oppressed. It's who we are. So why don't we look at women who have anger in that way? Like, man, she's somebody who will stand up for the underdog. I often say I'm a voice for the voiceless. I will speak up even in corporate because I know you said a lot of your listeners are working nine to five still. Mm-hmm. I was that person in the room where the manager would be talking some silly mess and everybody would be looking over at me like, Leslie, when are you going to say something? <laughs> like everyone's waiting because they won't they know, up, but yeah. they know that I'm going to say something. That was my mom. My mom was like, when she, she's retired now, but when they would actually come to her and say, can you tell, you know, this person? Cause she was that one. Yes. Yeah. And the apple didn't fall far. Yes. I love that Andrea. Like seriously. So why could, why can't that be the narrative of angry women? Yeah. That's such an interesting perspective. And I love that shift. And, and I, and I want to just point out what's, what you're asking people to do here. And it's the same thing I point out all the time for people. Like sometimes the ask is very big. You know, we're asking you to just, you know, to, to be okay with being angry. And that's a big ask. So what if you just notice your perspective around it? What if you notice if you are judging silently someone who is speaking on the top of her soapbox on Facebook, whether you agree with what she's saying or not, you know, we, we have these, these judgments. And every time I am judging someone, which like, let's be honest, we all still do. Absolutely. <laughs> like, Absolutely. It's, it's, um, it's a flag for me to get curious about what's going on. That's right. That's exactly. And, and especially if I'm like, like harshly judging, mm. I think about like, what is it that I don't like about this person? And sometimes it's, it's, it's that anger. I would get curious about why does that anger bother me? Mm-hmm. If, especially mm-hmm. if it's not directed to you. If you're just observing it on social media or you're watching a woman on the news tear up paperwork behind Trump's head, like why does that bother you so? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Get curious about it. And what you'll probably find is, (laughs) and I've heard people say to me, and you probably have had this happen, Andrea, as well. I've had women come to me and say, you know, when I first met you, I didn't like you. Oh, uh, I've had so many people tell me that, or I thought you were a bitch. That's what they said. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I didn't Mm -hmm. like you. I thought you were a bitch or whatever the thing is. I didn't like you. But once I got to know you and see where your motivation comes from, you're the person I want in my corner. Yeah. Like I can always trust you to be honest. I can always Mm -hmm. trust you to be real. And so if you're bothered by that and- I've had a, one of my closest friends now, we started that way. And she said, you know what it brought up in me was the fact that I felt my voice had been diminished and quelched. And I had no idea how to get that back. And so to see you living loudly, literally and figuratively, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
made me desire that for myself. And it didn't seem attainable for me. So yeah. I didn't like you because of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that may not be every woman's story who's observing an angry woman who's yielding it with precision. We're not talking about people who are being reckless. Let's be clear. We're talking about cruel. women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or cruel. We're not talking about that. Those That's a different situation and those women need help. But we're just talking about someone who is voicing their opinion clearly, articulately, powerfully, and maybe their voice goes up a little bit. You got to get curious about why you feel, why you're responding in that way to that person. It's been about a good decade or so since I started to get curious about my judgments, especially of women, changed my life. And I don't use that term lightly, but it shifted so much in me and also allowed me to accept myself more and have more self-compassion because for so long, and I I know this is probably only a, a certain percentage of the listeners who can relate, but I was told I was too loud, which I, I want to talk about being too much here in just a second. And I you know, I squelched that. I got embarrassed very easily. I quickly learned how to judge a room and gauge people's reactions, whether it was on their face or their body language to how, to my own voice, to the things I was saying, to how loud I laughed, all of that. And just recently, so I'm filling up this, I'm making a gallery wall in my office of of art prints. And it's like, uh, you know, pictures of RBG and all these different things. Mm-hmm. And there was one that I found on Society6 and it's it's just a, um, a pair of eyes looking sideways. It's a little bit of a side eye slash with a scowl eyes, just eyes under the top, it says aggressive. And I saw that print and I was like, <gasps> I need to have that. I need to order that in like a 12 by 18 and frame it and put it on my wall. And I did because I have been called aggressive mm-hmm. and I was so ashamed of that. And now I'm like, well, you know what? <laughs> God gave me this aggressive personality. I'm an Aries, I'm an Enneagram eight. I can't help it. It's in my DNA. And like, that's what I want for all women, whether they are loud or they are more, or they're a little bit quieter by nature. Like I want you to not feel like you're wrong or bad or that you have to change. Oh my gosh. This reminds me of um, Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed. She shared a story in there about her two daughters and one daughter is probably an eight just by how she describes her and her motivation to do things. And she tells this wonderful story about them going to get their ears pierced and the, the outspoken daughter, for lack of a better term, she jumps up into the chair. She's ready to get it done. The woman is like, who's getting ready to pierce her ears. She's like, should we peer one at a time or both at the same time? The little girl's like, let's do it. Just get it over with. And she's so excited, right? Well, the other sister is watching after this happens, the sister's earlobes swell up, all of the things. And so she quietly, but certainly says, I don't want to get my ears pierced. Mm-hmm. And the woman who's piercing her ears says to her, oh, do you see how brave your sister was? come on, get it done. (laughs) Right? Like you need to do this. And the long story short, the other sister still stayed in her resolve. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't want to do this, but she could tell that the young girl 
that her daughter felt a little bit of shame around it because of how the woman responded to her. Yeah. Like you're a coward, basically. Mm-hmm. You're right. This. Yeah. You're wrong if you don't. Right. Whereas bravery or strength looks different in everybody. Can you stand 10 toes? That's what I call it. Cause I'm from the hood. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I call it standing 10 toes. Whatever you mean, what you say, say what you mean, mean what you say. Mm-hmm. That's quiet strength. Strength doesn't have to be like you and I, Andrea, that's aggressive and forward and right. loud and in your face. Strength can also be, no, I have a resolve. I'm sticking to my morals, my principles, my values. Mm-hmm. And I don't it have comes to be in loud flavors. Yeah. Yeah. So what does it look like to be strong women? What does it look like to stand in your power? That's what's important to me. It's not that you're always speaking up and the first person to speak. Hell, some of the most powerful women I've ever met in my life were women of very few words. But when they spoke, room shifted. Mm-hmm. You know, me, people can tune me out because I talk all the time. <laughs> but like my mentor, when she speaks, shit shifts, man. Like yeah. room shift because she's such a presence with her words, with her demeanor, with her wisdom, all the things. Well, I want to I want to ask you about this is definitely along the same lines of, of what we've been talking about. You have a, a powerful sentence on your website that says you weren't put on this earth to blend into the background. Mm. So again, along the same lines of what we've been talking about, how can a woman who's listening to this embrace her quote unquote, too muchness if she feels like she is too much, you know, and like you said, it's a big ask, right? Mm -hmm. Part of my journey, even just to where I am now was there was a time where I did try to fit in, Andrea. I don't know if you ever went through that, but I did try to tune down. I did because it's only so much you can take of people always not liking you Mm -hmm. or people always seeing you as problematic or people always not inviting you to the table kind of a conversation before you start to look in and say a very self-assured young lady turned into a very insecure person as I was growing up because of being constantly told you're too much, you're too this, you're not going to get a guy, you're not going to get the job, you're not going to get the opportunity if you don't learn to tone down. And I'm also a Christian. And so church community plays a lot into that too, about what femininity looks like. And I was battling with that. And I lost myself for a point and I was miserable. But, and it was like, that natural confidence that I had, I call these people light dimmers. These people were constantly trying to dim my light. And for a period of time, I let them. Mm-hmm. I had to go on a journey of reclamation and pole was a part of it, which is how I ended up owning a pole studio, but I had to get pole dancing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I had to get back in touch with my body which is where my wisdom resides, which is where all women's wisdom resides. Mm -hmm. And pole was a tool that I used to start to reclaim my voice. So when I talk to women about not blending into the background, I talk to them about what are you passionate about? 
what things in this world would you really like to see change? And I know that seems lofty and mm-hmm. high in the sky, but it starts with purpose for me. If you don't have purpose behind what you do, it's going to have minimal impact. I help women unearth what are you designed to solve? Because I believe every single person, every single person has a purpose. You were put here for a reason. What do you care about? Because even though we're both AIDS, Andrea, we both love justice. We both love the underdog, but I bet it shows up differently in our lives. Things that you care about, I may not even notice and vice versa. So when you're looking to use your voice because you've already got a voice, but when you're looking to use your voice, we do a lot of work around what is it that you innately, not aspirationally, not what you've been told you should care about. What do you innately care about and why does that matter? The most shy person, the most reserved person, the most introverted person, when you can get them talking about what they really deeply care about, they will talk to the cows come home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the search for voice always starts with what do you give a damn about? Yeah. I like to ask people the question, what pisses you off? Yeah. Real simple. Mm-hmm. And for some women though, they'll be like, nothing. I don't, you know, <laughs> so that question for us is like, oh, let me give you a fucking list of, <laughs> what about this? What about this? What yeah. about this and this and this? Well, and start with the small things and that'll probably kickstart. Yeah. It's just like, what little things irritate you? What do you see that breaks your heart? Mm-hmm. You know, for some people, I'll be like, you know, when the pissing off thing and they start giving me the him and Han, I'll be like, but what breaks your heart? Yeah. And usually that'll get people to kind of figuring out what is it that I am put on earth to have an impact on? What am I here to change? It's, it's interesting when I have guests on where I'm unusually quiet and this is, believe it or not, unusually quiet for me. Um, (laughs) I, I just feel like I'm listening to the best sermon and I just, I'm so glad I got to meet you. Uh, Okay. Yes to all of that. An enthusiastic yes. And and I want to ask you about what you call unshakable leadership. And this again is alongside with what we, what we've been talking about. So what do you, how do you define that? And what are some ways that women can harness their own unshakable leadership? Yeah, absolutely. If 2020 taught us anything, It shook our world (laughs) yeah. as an understatement, but there were still women leading. I was one of them. You were one of them. (laughs) There are thousands of women, thousands of women who still had to lead during this pandemic. When I think of unshakable, I think of, I am not moved by external forces. Now I might bow, you know, I might bend, but I'm not going to break. I am rooted in something that is deeper than what you can see. I'm rooted in my purpose. I'm rooted in my values. Everything else I wear loosely. You know, so a lot of people, especially for people who are in corporate, especially young women, I mentor a lot of young women, 
they're always like, well, Leslie, my purpose and what job should I take and where, who should I marry and where should I live? <laughs> All of the things. And I'm like, that type of stuff is loose. Wear that loosely. Because for me, I've been helping women for over 30 years, but the container in which I've helped women has changed every five years. The container can change, but what doesn't change is why you do what you do. When you know those things. And this is, and for some women, this is tough for them to start to figure out, which is where the Enneagram comes in, of course. This is why I use it as a tool because it helps to unearth your innate values, your innate strengths, your innate shadow, so that you're a lot more self-aware so that you can lead from a place of strength. So to be unstrength, unshakable is to be rooted in purpose, strength, and values. I'm interrupting this conversation to bring you a few words from some of our sponsors. Personally, I love a good, beautiful, simple, classic jewelry design. That's why I went bonkers over Ana Luisa's gorgeous pieces. That's A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A. I recently ordered their gold double hoop earrings, and I'm obsessed with them. They are so beautiful. A couple of the many reasons I love their jewelry. They have exceptional quality, long-lasting pieces crafted with care from the best noble metals. They offer a 365-day warranty to replace or refund any piece that doesn't meet your expectations. And they have fair prices, jewelry starting at $39, and there's no luxury markup. These pieces are a fantastic gift for yourself and the ones you love. And right now, Ana Luisa is having 15% off all products. The last day to guarantee standard shipping before Valentine's Day in the U.S. is Tuesday, February 10th. Just go to analuisa.com, A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A.com, and get 15% off the entire site for Valentine's Day. You know, for those of you who don't know a whole lot about the Enneagram, I had um, Jessica Dixon on a couple of months ago. So we'll drop that link in the show notes. And what is your favorite? I just want to ask you real quick on the Enneagram. What is your favorite place for people to go take the Enneagram test? Because I went to their website. Is that the place that you send people? The Enneagram Institute. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think. Okay. I think it was like $12. I was going to say for the price. Um, I think it's the most cost-effective way. And if people don't even want to spend $12, here's another resource, trueself.io. That's actually a free test. And it's probably one of the best free tests that are out there for sure. Okay. Yeah. Like don't take a Buzzfeed quiz. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to tell you your Enneagram, but it was a long test. The one I took, took me a good solid 40 minutes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it's a great starting place. I think I was listening to the young lady you had on about the human design and Mm. she was saying, and she brought up something that I thought was very valid and worth noting is that these tests are only as good as you are self-aware. Yeah. Where, which is why human design is different than the Enneagram. It is common for people to mistype themselves in the Enneagram world. So I always tell people, no matter what test you take, it's probably about 70% accurate, unless mm-hmm. you're extremely self-aware. Okay. And if you're st- extremely self-aware, then it's a great tool. If you're not, you probably do need to get with a coach who can kind of get at some things that we know like childhood messaging and that sort of thing that doesn't really come up on the test that could really make sure that that is your type. Um, 
you got to try it out. It is not as yeah. finite for some people as it was for eights. Eights are extremely self-aware by nature. And what a lot of people see as negatives, we see as positives. So <laughs> nine times out of 10, if you're typed an eight, you're probably an eight. <laughs> you're probably yeah. an eight. But Even yeah, that's with a an eight win. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm friends with a decent amount of sevens, which is mm-hmm. the enthusiasts mm-hmm. that have an eight wing and the eight is the challenger. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to, I want to kind of shift gears and talk about, cause I was, I was, you know, partly stalking you out slash researching, yeah, <laughs> reading every word on your website and you talk about your faith and mm-hmm. you identify as a devout Christian. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious about if, if your spirituality has evolved over time, like, are you, the, do you have the same beliefs that you had when you were a child? And, and what is that, what does that journey look like? Because we didn't even get into this. So you used to, um, sell, you used to have sex toy parties, yes! which I hosted one of those before. Those are fun. <laughs> and you do pole dancing. So it's like, I wouldn't like, if I heard all of those things, I wouldn't be like, she's probably a devout Christian. <laughs> She's a heathen. That's what she is. <laughs> so tell us about that. Well, honestly, so let's start there. First of all, I didn't grow up in the church. Okay. I was an adult when I came to faith. So um, while I was around the church, I was not one of those kids that grew up in the church, like there every week. I had relatives who took me to like vacation Bible school and I would go to church, you know, a couple of times a year with an aunt, that sort of thing. Um, so when I got saved, I was a full-fledged adult. So I had already been living for quite some time before God came into my life. So as it relates to my religion and my understanding of God evolving, it evolves as I know more about who he is and what he wants for my life. But in terms of how I think, like about the world and those sorts of things, no, it really hasn't changed to be candid with you. It's shown me more about me and what I need to do and how I need to be moving in purpose than it informs me about the world that we're in. I always tell people God is a, is a very personal God. He's very concerned about you as an individual and you exercising agency over yourself and doing what you've been called to do. And then if everyone did that, starting from a place of honesty, then we could be more open and sensitive to the needs of others. But when we're blind to ourselves, we cannot help other people. It's what, so whether you are a Christian or not, or if you're into human design, or if you're into the Enneagram, or if you're into coaching, whatever it is, the path to self-awareness is where it all change starts. I just happen to use the Bible as a tool to help me with self-awareness. So I don't know if that answers your question, but. Yeah, it's. I'm always curious about people who, well, and I told you before we started recording and I'm like, uh-huh. I'm gonna ask you about your faith and it's, yeah. it's strictly a selfish question because mine, mine has really ebbed. I don't know if it's flowed, but it's definitely <laughs> ebbed. So I did grow up going to church mm-hmm. and pretty, you know, weekly Sunday school youth group. And I recently found 
in um, this photo album that I had made. It was a it was a project during confirmation, and so I grew up Lutheran, which I heard was Catholic light. It is now. I'm <laughs> now I'm starting to realize it very much was just kind of like a like a junior version. We do a lot of the same things uh-huh. in the Catholic Church, but just like less kneeling, and we don't <laughs> pray to the Rosary. I mean, that's pretty much it. Like everything else is is pretty much the same. And so in eighth grade, I had done this project for, to get my confirmation where it was a 10 commandments project mm-hmm. and it's hilarious. Like if I look at it now in my eighth grade, bubbly handwriting and talking about, you know, sins and don't, don't be this person, only be this person is very black and white. Mm-hmm. And like, there's no nuance in there at all, <laughs> no room for nuance. Like don't have sex before marriage, like very, very strict. And, and it just made me think about this whole journey and definitely over the last decade or so. So when my kids were little, I tried to go back to church and it was one of those mega churches. And I, I, there was something felt, it was a very interesting predicament I found myself in. Cause on one hand, I felt like I was at home. And on the other hand, I felt like something was very, very wrong. Mm. And I could not figure out what it was. So later on, I figured out, you know, as I got curious about it, it was the community that I was missing, but it was the religious dogma that I didn't like. And it was the sort of strictness of it. And there was a lot of things going on in Christianity that I didn't agree with, mm. you know, just like what, know, like, like homophobia. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And it was confusing. It was super confusing and I didn't know where to go. So I have since figured it out. And, you know, the God that I believe in is very similar, if not exactly the same to yours. And I love what you said about, can you say it again? Cause I don't want to misquote you. Like if we don't have self-awareness then we can't help others out. Was that what yeah, you said? That's the gist of it. Yeah. Without self-awareness, all true change starts with self-awareness. Who am I before a holy God? Yeah. Um, it's very important. <laughs> well, and I, and I've, I've talked to my audience about this as well is that I've become very interested in, and I didn't know where it came from in like witchcraft and like psychic mediums. And I'm like, what is going on with that? Because uh-huh. that's, you know, in Christianity, that's typically like not okay, <laughs> but here's what I've come to realize. I'm taking the long way to tell this story I love is it. that I, since I was a child have felt God or something on the other side talking to me. Mm. And I never knew what it was. And it's not, it's not a thought. And it's also doesn't sound like someone's voice in the room. And I told my mom about it Mm. and she told me that it was God. And she was very casual about it. Just like, Oh yeah, whatever. So then as I got older, I didn't hear it as often. And I was talking to a psychic medium and she said, that's Claire audience. Like you have, you, you can hear from the other side. That's definitely either your guides, angels, or God, whatever you want to call it. And I was like, Holy shit. What? (laughs) And so I've gotten interested in honing my, um, like there's four Claire's. Okay. And I do, I believe that that is, God or something on the other side. And I'm, I'm not as interested in talking to dead people. Like if they want to come through, Mm -hmm. that's fine. I'll do that for people, but I'm more interested in hearing whatever it is that I need to hear. That is bigger than me. That fulfills my purpose that guides me towards my strengths and like my reason for being here to help other people. Yeah. I don't, I, I sometimes feel like I don't know what the next step is, but I know that if I tap into this, that it will tell me. So that voice is always genderless. Uh Um, I also didn't know that that was kind of a signal that it's, 
God or something else. Yeah. And, and that's why I'm so curious about, I don't often ask my guests that question. Yeah. 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 Um, but it, I put it out there. Here's something I want to say to you, Andrea. Yeah. Um, because this is what I hear a lot from people who walk away from the faith. Typically people who walk away from the face, and of course I'm generalizing, so please don't send me hate mail guys. Um, <laughs> but people who typically walk away from the faith, they come from legalistic environments. So it's almost what you described, very structured do's and don'ts. Like God is just Organized this, religion. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This God is just this celestial being with this rule book. Where he and he's a punishing off. God. Yeah. That's what, that's what, how I grew up. Yeah. And that's all he wants to do all day is to catch you <laughs> doing mm-hmm. something wrong, mm-hmm. you know, and you having to give penance for that for the rest of your life. Right. That is not the God of the Bible. Yes. God is a God of justice, but God is also a God of mercy. God is a God of grace. God is a God of compassion God is, but he ain't want to play with either. Like it's, it's kind of like parents, you know, in that way. But I often hear people who walk away and start to explore other avenues is because of that. They see God as this person who doesn't mean them any good. Doesn't mean our world any good. And that's not God. And so for me, I always tell people this. Wherever you fall, just have a right view of God. (laughs) Don't let man's view of God deter you from seeking him. Now, after you've sought him and you had your own relationship, if you decide to walk away, that's your choice. But don't let church, don't let Christians form your opinion about God. You need to make that decision yourself. You need to have an encounter with God yourself and then move forward. Because, yeah, every time I hear a story like this, I could predict where this was going. Just listening to you. Mm -hmm. That is not flourishing. That is not that's not going to God is not interested in you being a robot. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Checking off the boxes. Yeah, He gave you your personality. It goes back to what we were talking about. God gave you your personality. You said it earlier, like your voice, your presence, because you were meant to enter rooms and have influence in places that I can't. Mm -hmm. We need to know what our purpose is and walk in that thing. And so however you get to that point, I always say, don't let it be other people though. Don't let it be organized religion. Don't let it be terrible Christians let it be your own experience and then go from there. I, I wholeheartedly agree. And that's sort of where I ended up after that church didn't feel right to me because I, I just felt like I need to just surrender to whatever this is. And again, get curious about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm confident that I will end up wherever I was meant to end up. That's right. And, you know, cause truthfully, and I feel like, Hey, if you are a devout Christian and you participate in organized religion and it makes mm-hmm. you a great person and it gives you purpose, my, I am cheering for you over here. Like I, I want that for you. And if it makes you feel good and you know, makes you a better person. I don't want you to think of me as a great person, Andrea. I want you to think of God as a great God. Yeah. And anything that you see in me that is worth praising at all is because he put it there. Mm-hmm. 
And so for me, Christianity is not about look at me and what I'm doing. Because if you look at me, Andrea, I'm a hot ass mess. <laughs> Aren't we all? Like I could be one of those Christians <laughs> that made you say, forget church. You know what I mean? I'm always like, don't look at me, look at God. Cause I'm crazy. Like I'm a mess. I'm human. Yeah. Well, we're humans. Yeah, exactly. Yep, I'm human. So, but yeah, so I just encourage you as you're going along. So where are you at now? Let me ask you that. Where are you at today? Well, I mean, I definitely, I've been in the same place for a long time and felt like I definitely believe in God and it, you know, I also am sober. So I went through Alcoholics okay. Anonymous with which okay. there's a God element in Alcoholics Anonymous. Oh, so I didn't know that. Okay. I was help what was helpful is seeing a lot of people, and I hate to say that I was helped by this, but it was it was interesting perspective to see a lot of people really struggle. And by the way, I got I got sober in Utah. And a lot of the people that were in those oh. rooms were sort of quote unquote recovering Mormons. Yeah, Mormons. And yeah. they had completely walked away from faith altogether because, quite frankly, of religious trauma. And from, from what I remember and what I understood oh. of their stories, mm-hmm. but it was, it was interesting to see that perspective and also understand that I just, I really believe that there is something bigger than us that yes. connects us all. Yes. That is love that really truly yes. is love. That's inexplicable. Yes. And you know, the jury's still out with like Jesus. And like, I remember being a little kid, you know, and they don't like critical thinking and people asking questions, but I remember being a little kid. And when I found out that you can survive for three days without food or water, I asked, how did Jesus do it for 40? And I was like, did Jesus, do you think he was just unconscious and he really wasn't dead? And then he just, and they were like aghast that I would question So I just, you know, I've always sort of had that feeling. And I've also known in my bones since I was really, really young that I have been reincarnated. And I remember going to my pastor and sitting down with him and I trusted this man. And he was a really great, great pastor. And he was my Uh spiritual mentor. And Uh I was so excited to like have this discussion with him. And he looked me straight in the face and said, we as Lutherans don't believe that. And I was crushed, Leslie. I was crushed. Just like, we don't, who, who's we, you know, and because I, and it was my first sort of experience of being told I was wrong for what I believed in. And I believed it in my bones and mm-hmm. knew that there was something out there. And I, did he ask you questions it. about how you got to that point or no. did he just tell you that? Nope. Just, yeah. no, that's not what we believe. And it, and I remember like, it was almost condescending, like, oh, that's cute. Like pat you on the head that you would think that. And it felt even worse. And like, and then I think that was the moment, like I did not trust (laughs) people in those positions anymore. As as you shouldn't. It's, it's just been a little bit complicated, but I'm fine. I, a lot of people, I love my listeners so much. You guys don't need to take care of me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not lost. I am very found. I think it's interesting to me too, is that the same tools we use in coaching curiosity is also what's used in, in good ministry, by the way, Mm -hmm. is just get curious about what the person's telling you. Yeah. I never answer questions. People don't ask. I don't. Mm -hmm. So I'm more interested in what is it that you have to say? If you ask me what I believe about reincarnation, that's a different situation. Mm -hmm. but you as a child 
you weren't asking me. You weren't asking him what he believed. You were sharing your experience. Right. Christians would be a lot better off if we learned to just get curious and shut up. I never, I'll end it with the saying this. I remember one time I was asked, because I was extremely judgmental when um, I was younger in my faith, extremely judgmental. And I remember praying and asking God, like, because God is not cool with that, by the way, <laughs> for, for humans to be judgmental is to be sinful, like for me to pass judgment on a person. And I was like, Lord, I know this is not pleasing. Why am I this way? You know, how can I get out of this? And do you know what the answer was? And this was well before I ever even thought about becoming a coach. Curious, get curious, mm -hmm. ask questions. Don't be so quick to tell people everything you think because you could be wrong. How about that? And that's yeah. how I walk into situations now. It's like, let me get curious about what it is this person has to say mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and only answer questions that you're asked. <laughs> I love that so much. And I, I just have loved this conversation before we close up. Is there anything that you wanted to circle back to or say in order to feel comfortable? Oh, this has been an interesting conversation for sure. It sure I'm like, had it's twists and turns. It has, it has. And I was completely not expecting this today. Um, but well, thank you for so being good. open to it. Yeah, of course, of course. I think the biggest thing that I would want to leave with your listeners today is about exploring their anger and tying that to purpose. I want more than anything for women to walk in their purpose and to own their voice. I want women to seek out tools that will allow them to put voice to the experience that they're living. Knowing that things they've lived, things they know, the wisdom they have is what will shift our world. I know you said at the top of this is that you're a feminist. And I believe the work of feminism at the heart of it is liberation. And liberation <laughs> starts with using your voice. So if your listeners are looking for tools where they want to unearth their voice, I would love to walk them through that process. Our, my uncheckable leadership process starts with something I call soulful values. Because remember at the heart of, of voice is your values. At the heart of values is purpose. It's a 90 minute session. And you walk away from that 90 minutes with a clear understanding of a roadmap is what I always say. You have a clear understanding of what your strengths and shadows are and what does it look like on the path to integration so that you can start to use your voice more. I would say if people are curious about that, hop over to my website, lesliedlyons.com. Or you can follow me on Instagram where you're going to see nothing but pictures of my puppy and my <laughs> grandchildren. Um, I can't believe you're a grandma. <laughs> four of them. Okay. Four little people. Um, Leslie D. Lyons as well. Andrea, I'm so, 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 so appreciative of being on your show. You I am are, so glad you're here. I'm like, you're such a rich person. I'm like, I love talking to women who have depth to them. And your story is such an inspiring story. So thank you for sharing that with me today and helping me to get to know you better. Thank you so much for your time today. And yes, that's Leslie with an I-E-D, Lions, Lions with a Y. That link will be in the show notes, lesliedlions.com. 
And everyone, thank you so much for being here. You know how grateful I am for your time. And remember, it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast. If you'd like some extra support, we would love to see how we can help you. You can apply for private coaching by simply texting the word APPLY to 33777, and the link will be sent to you. 